Good morning again. Our room has filled out, quadrupled in size from the last time I was up here. Uh, for some of you that don't know me, I'm Chris Watson. I'm pastor of children's ministry and adult education. And uh, for some of you that might have taken Doug literally, that there would be somewhere to warm yourself after this service, it would normally be in the chapel. But actually, the prayer class in the chapel at 1045 has also been canceled. So sorry to, that you'll miss out on that. So uh, let's, let's come to the word together this morning. The place that I want to take you first, uh, as, as, you're, as you're making your way to Isaiah, I want to tell you about a trip that I recently had. I, I went to visit my folks with, with our family. We went to the Chicagoland area, and we did a bit of a Thanksgiving Christmas together time. Uh, since they're in the process of moving to Indiana, a little further away from us, the, we decided to, to bunch it together. So part of this time, uh, we had a big feast and we had wonderful food together. My sister came and joined us, so all of their kids were there, so the, the cousins were playing together. And so we were wrapped around the Christmas tree, and, and there was one thing that really stood out to me from from that time, and it was a gift that my dad gave to me. And if some of us would have been watching, we might have thought, well, that's kind of like a white elephant gift. That's not a real gift. Come on. But it was a VHS tape of The Last Dragon, which is like an 80s martial arts movie. And the reason why it had some special meaning to me is because I practically wore that tape out on all of our traveling trips for the holidays during my youth. See, we would pile into... Our van, and, and we would drive across the state of Missouri, just back and forth, all these different stops, because family was spread out throughout the state. And that would be where I would spend my time. I would I would be there watching, and I'd force my sister to rotate between that movie and four other movies, and she would begrudgingly go along with it. And 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 so I would be in this movie fog, and then I would kind of come out of it when we stopped somewhere. And the question I would be is, okay, well, where are we at? Uh, whose, whose house are we at? Whose, pre- whose presence in the back do we need to drag out so that we can have Christmas there? And it was that question that kind of spurred my thinking because all I can remember for Christmas time growing up was being on the road. We were always traveling. We were the only ones that were outside the family that were in a different place, so we always had to go to them. And the question that I always had was, where are we at? Whose presence do we need? And that that was really the central memory that I had of Christmas growing up. And it was pretty inconsequential that that was what my Christmas season was centered on. So I have another question for you. It's one that I've been wrestling over as I've been thinking about this even now. What if our question changed from, where are we at? Or... What Christmas card do I need to put together? What what perfect present do I need for this person changed to who am I becoming because of his coming? Who am I becoming because of his coming? So we don't always appreciate Jesus in the fullness as the coming king during Christmas because sometimes we focus on inconsequential things. 
We have a checklist of things to do. In fact, there's probably a whole list of things. We have one week. We have these cards to get out. We have this letter to finish up. Uh, we have these various different people we need to, to look in on. Maybe there's a trip or two in between now and then. But let's not miss what, what we find in the scriptures is that when we recognize his coming, the coming king, then we can't help but be changed. So let's be challenged by that question this morning. Uh, That's the question. How can we rightly appreciate the coming of this king this Christmas season? Our our text I mentioned is in Isaiah. Let's turn to chapter 11 together. Chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open that right now. And we'll realize that we'll begin to recognize him, first of all, and then we'll notice that there's a reflection that we must do. We must reflect his very character, and then we'll begin to experience his peace. We'll see that as we go through this together. So let's read from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze, Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Notice in this first verse, we'll we'll get the very first thing that we should take home, and that is recognize the coming king. We we start to get clues from the very beginning that this coming king is of Jesse's line. It says the stem of Jesse. Jesse, The Jesse being referred to here is King David's father. And it might even tip us off to the humble beginnings which David began with, of this kingly line which was to come. And so we were to have our eye out being cued in on this coming king which would come from David's line. We might not normally think of this line being something uh, regal or, or royal when it's talking about a branch. You're saying a sprout, a shoot, a rod coming out of a stump. We, that, that, might not, that might not sound like king to our ears, but in their ears in, in that day in the ancient Near East, that would have been very much a kingly thing to talk about. In fact, here's a couple of places where it mentions it. The Assyrian king, Tiglath-Pileser III, is called the precious branch of Baltiel. Another Assyrian king, Sargon II, is called the precious branch of Assur, the royal lineage and ancient stock. The Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar I, 
is called offspring of Enmardronki, king of Sippar, a branch of Nippur, of ancient stock. So in particular, it actually looks at a new king that's coming in as, as one who would, who would take on this royal throne. Clues are left to recognize who this king would be. So Isaiah begins to talk about this right as it comes into the reign of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was a breath of fresh air, and he begins to renew the hopes of this king who would come and restore David's kingdom to what it was intended to be. But we see that that was only partial, only temporary. There's one that's more full that it's looking forward to. It's, it's looking to the complete meaning that we find in Jesus himself. So, why the talk about trees here? What's the deal with all these trees? Well, if we look back at chapter 10, we get some, some more clues also. Because what God does is he talks about trees, but he talks about them in a way that Israel didn't really want to hear. If we look at chapter 10, verses 15, 34, 33, and then 34, we might catch a glimpse into some of this. It says, Is the axe to boast itself over the one who chops with it? Is the saw to exalt itself over the one who wields it? That would be like a club wielding those who lift it, or like a rod lifting him who is not wood. And then skip down to verse 33. Behold, the Lord, the God of hosts, will lop off the boughs with a terrible crash. And those also who are tall in stature will be cut down, and those who are lofty will be abased. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an iron axe, and Lebanon will fall by the mighty one. So why all the talk of the axe? We had a very good reason for that. You see, God was describing himself in terms of a forester. In fact, maybe we would call him a lumberjack, per se. And he was hacking down the forest. And in particular, we see that he is lopping down the forest of Judah. And the axe that he's using is Assyria. The king, the king that is over here that he would raise up, that he would bring over to bring judgment and discipline upon his people because they turned to others to trust instead of him. And what he points out in these verses, he says, oh, don't worry about Assyria. They're going to be thrown into the fire too. They'll get their judgment and their time will come. But do you know why you're getting judged? It's because you're trusting in these tools. This is simply a tool in my hand. Assyria is simply a tool in my hand. Why are you trusting in it? Why don't you trust in the one who is swinging it? And eventually there would be a remnant that would be restored and would be reminded of that truth. But here we see that he mentions that this kingly line, which was to come from David, would be cut short. And now we get this promise of this one who would rise up from this line, who would be this descendant, who who was of a royal descent, and he's one that has been anticipated all along, and that he's bringing about God's purposes. And so when we think about this one who is to come, and this one who is compared here 
in this passage, to those who have been trusting in God's tools and not in God himself, we might say, well, what tools have I been trusting in? As we come into the Christmas season, what, what tools have I been trying to trust in that would make meaning of this Christmas time? Well, perhaps it's some of the traditions that we normally go through. Perhaps they're good traditions of Christmas caroling, singing songs together, maybe even reading the Christmas story. Maybe it's sending out Christmas letters or cards with verses on them to friends or family. But the one thing that each one of these tools was to do, the one thing that God himself said that these tools were to do was to bring them to himself. They were to lead to that person. So are the tools this season bringing you to the person? Are they bringing you to the person of Jesus? Because that's what God is pointing us to and he's pushing us toward as we think about it this holiday season. So we're confronted, first of all, with the person. And when we meet the person, when we meet the coming king, and we see his character, we're shaped by that. And that's what he gets to in the next set of verses. Verses 2 to 5. Let's read those again. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. We see his character come into view here. We see that his character is rooted in the spirit of God. In fact, it's mentioned a few different times in those first in that first verse that the spirit of God was upon him. It rested on him. And this was the key and critical component. In fact, this is what we find in the Old Testament various different places that God's spirit came upon in particular his kings and they provided enablement. This the spirit provided enablement for them. It energized them to do the work of God. It was, it was uh, apparent in King David's life. It carried on through some of the other kings. Um, most of them didn't. But we see it again renewed with King Hezekiah, the one who's being spoken about in the near ground here. And this coming king would not only be energized by that spirit, but he stands in stark contrast to the ones right beforehand. King Uzziah, King Ahaz, some of the ones that were just previous to Hezekiah were ones that were not trusting in the Spirit of God, were not being led by it, not being directed. And so it stands in stark contrast. And this coming king was not only to be led by the Spirit, but that Spirit would help him to rule well, to rule in righteousness, and to promote social justice. In fact, one of the prayers spoken of the king comes out of Psalm 72, verses 1 to 4. You can follow with me if you'd like, or just listen in, because this is a prayer of the righteous king that was supposed to look like righteousness and justice in the midst of his kingdom. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness, and you're afflicted with justice. Let the mountains bring peace to the people. 
in the hills in righteousness. May he vindicate the afflicted of the people, save the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. So we see this righteousness being demonstrated in in this action by the king that's being spoken of here. In the near ground, we see that this was in part played out by Hezekiah. But we see a a more full sense that's being pointed to here. And we might pick up on some of these verses in the New Testament, which speaks of Jesus' coming. By the word of his mouth, he would bring about justice. It says in 2 Thessalonians 2.8, Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth, and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. And then in Revelation 19.15, it says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that it may... So that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. So the righteous character and the justice that he will bring will come about by his very word. And we see here that his righteous character is even affirmed in the clothes that he wears. In verse 5 it talks about the clothes that he's girded by and that he has around him. This could be uh, outer clothes or inner clothes, the belt that would be around him, so that this would actually support his kingdom, his very character, the righteousness and justice that he holds to actually supports his kingdom. Now, when I was at Moody Bible Institute, a friend of mine helped me when I would exercise because he was kind of a guru with it. He would, he would help me in, in the gym working out some, because I played on the volleyball team, and so we would we didn't really have uh, together workouts, but we each worked out kind of on our own. And so each time he would come in, and he would have a clipboard, and he would be really organized, saying, "Okay, we need to attack this muscle group today, and uh, next next time we're going to attack this group of muscles, and this is how we're going to do it. We're going to vary it some so that we get maximum effort from it." And I was like, "All right, Dave, you know you know what you're talking about. We'll do it your way." So that sounds good to me. And I can remember, he just kept coming in with this clipboard, and it's like, wow, this is kind of working. He's got a plan for this. And, and that clipboard seems to be a place where, uh, where we can center our thinking on, okay, this is what we need to do next. I still have a clipboard today, but it's not so much for the gym. See, the exercise that, that I use with the clipboard that I have now is in my spiritual life. I literally have a clipboard at the bottom of my steps, maybe a throwback to what I was doing in college, but it's a, it's a reminder for me to say, okay, these are some points that I really have to focus attention, that I really have to ask God's Spirit to intervene to help on these specific things, because I know that I'm falling short here. I know that I need God's help, and in fact, if I don't ask for it, I'm asking to fail. So each day, when I walk in, before I come up the stairs, sure enough, there waiting for me is a clipboard. And I grab a seat for a few minutes, and I pray. And I take time to focus on that, because some of the things that I need to focus on are the things that are reflected in my family. How I, how I talk with them, how I care for them, how I notice their needs, how, I am, how I'm responding to them, and if I'm engaged. Then when I leave for the work for work in the morning, it's on my way out. It resets my mind as I as I get into the car, as I 
travel as my thoughts are uh, started to direct it, directed for the day, it resets me and it reminds me that I continue to need God's help, especially to, to please him with the work that he's asking me to do for the day. So this might be just a simple exercise for me, but what we find in this verse when it talks about, in verse 2, when it talks about how the Spirit of the Lord is resting upon him, is this absolute dependence on the Spirit of God. This absolute need to come to him and ask for his help. And so, I made for you a makeshift clipboard this week. If you open uh, your bulletin here, you'll notice that there's a bit of a page here that's made out of cardstock. It's not quite flimsy enough that you can just crumple it up and throw it in the garbage can. I hope you won't. I'd challenge you to allow this to be your clipboard for this week. What you have here are some different verses that talk about who Jesus was and how he would arrive. Talks about prophecies from the Old Testament. Talks about fulfillment in the New Testament. And one of the reasons why these are going to be so helpful for you is because so many times we we come and we see these verses and we say, "Yes, Jesus was talked about in the Old Testament, and he arrived in the New Testament." Woohoo! Go Jesus! And then that's it. But in in these verses, there's actually clues for what he's like, who he is, the type of coming that he would have. And so, as that first question that I mentioned was, because of his coming, what difference does it make in my life? You know, am I being changed by it? These verses can help you to think about it. I know one that's really stood out for me is Micah 5.2. Because here it talks about how Bethlehem would be the place where God chooses to send his son to be born into the world. That here the ruler would come from, this one of the smallest towns in all of Judah. And yet he chose this one. And one of the things that I've had to reflect on is, God, you chose the humblest place. You chose the least exalted of all these places to show yourself. You could have chosen Jerusalem. You could have chosen any of these great kingdoms and their capitals. And yet you chose the smallest and the humblest. How am I coming alongside that? Am I, am I embracing that? Am I embracing humility in my life? Am I embracing the humble beginnings that Jesus had? Am I seeking for power in the various different areas in which I have opportunity? Or do I seek to make you the one who has the attention? Because when, when we notice that God in his humility showed up there, there is no boasting that could possibly come from a human standpoint. The one who is exalted is God himself. Am I allowing God to be the one that is exalted in my life? Or am I taking that in these places? So these verses can challenge you. They've been challenging me this week. I trust that they'll be challenging you as well. If, if you come across some of them and you say, well, you know, some of these just aren't quite challenging me, then, then turn it over on the back, use the back side, and come back to chapter 11. Because there are certainly a number of verses here that we can 
that we can turn to. In fact, let's look back over some of the places in Isaiah 11 here in this section where it talks about his character that can challenge us. Look in verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord will rest in him. Am I, am I trusting you and am I being led by your Spirit? Verse 3. Notice where it says, And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Am I delighting to fear in you, Lord? Am I fearing your things or am I delighting in lesser things? Am I treating people justly in the way I relate to them? Verse 4. Or is Christmas season just the exception? There's different things here that can challenge you through the Christmas season in particular. So come back to Isaiah 11 if, if you need to use the back of your makeshift clipboard for this week. And then finally, we, we see that there's an opportunity not only to reflect these spirit-led verses that we have here on our clipboard... But we are also changed by the peace that he gives us. And so that's the third point we see listed here. Be marked by the peace of the coming king, which is what we see visualized in a graphic picture. Verses 6 to 9. Let's read those again. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra and the weaned child will put his hand in the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord and the wa- as the waters cover the sea. So this ideal picture, maybe we've seen it in some of the paintings that are on the wall where there's these animals together, they're at peace, and we say, well... That's not the world that I live in right now. That animal would eat that other one. Uh, we, we might also see it in uh, writing in, in certain ways when it talks about the kingdom to come. Well, Isaiah paints this picture of complete peace, but let's reset it back in the context that he's talking about. He, he uh, is talking about what comes out of chapter 10. Remember what was talked about before. Talks about God's judgment coming from these other nations. Talks about these predators that are out to attack Israel. So he switches over to this image of those who are going to attack him. Those from the outside. And in particular, we see in other ancient, ancient Near Eastern literature as well, this idea being pictured in the, in the natural and the animal realm of peace being peace and national security. So here's some of the ways that they might say it. One account talks about nations living in harmony where there's no carnivores present. It says, a time when there was no serpent, where there was no scorpion, a time when there was no hyena, there was no lion, a time when there was neither fear nor terror. Another account predicts the reign of a new king and how it would usher in national security and peace throughout the kingdom. These are the terms it uses to explain that. In Dillman, the lion will not kill. The wolf will not snatch the lamb. And so Isaiah here is speaking of not only this national security, this peace, this complete peace that this king would bring to this kingdom. We see this in part by what Hezekiah brings. 
We saw, we see what, what God does to bring deliverance when he destroyed the Assyrian army, the 185,000 that came against him. But notice what he spoke about in chapter 9. I read that earlier with the verses that I started the service with. He mentions the child king who would be the prince of peace. And so we get a promise of this king who would come, who would not only bring national security, not only uh, from oppressors that would come from the outside, but complete peace, shalom, which would totally envelop that society and which would be promised not only for a short time, not only from the predators that are just knocking on the door, but for all time, for a kingdom that will forever reign. In fact, we see this promise given to David in 2 Samuel 7. It says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so this promise then actually comes into being. We find later when it speaks, when Peter, speaking in the empowerment of the Spirit, in chapter 2 of Acts, says in verse 29, speaking in Pentecost, about Jesus says, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here today. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne, seeing what was to come. He spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah and that he would not be abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses to it. Jesus was the coming king that was anticipated. Jesus is the one who would ultimately rule on the throne of David, who would have this kingdom of peace forever, not just for a time, but for all time. A kingdom which has peace not only from external people and those that would come against it, but that is embodied internally as well. Even as pictured here, by these young children who are amongst these animals whom they should fear, whom they should be hurt, injured, killed by. Looking back at Isaiah 11, 6-9 here, we see that the piece here that's pictured is external, but it will also be internal. Pastor Steve mentioned a couple of weeks ago that we're not only kingdom people who are anticipating the kingdom to come, but we're actually kingdom people now. So there's a part of this peace that we're anticipating that we're looking forward to, and yet there's peace that we can actually experience now, as we know this king, this coming king, right now. One thing people long for in this time of year in particular is peace. And one of the things that we can take confidence in is knowing that our environment actually doesn't set the level of peace that we have. And Jesus promises this peace not only when he returns, but even now he says to his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He says in John 14 and then in chapter 16, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The peace that he's talking about here, in particular, he's linked with the Spirit of God. 
that, that that peace would come because the presence of the Spirit would be in our life, that we could trust Him to give us peace. And so, this takes me back to a few years ago on Thanksgiving Day again. Uh, it was a memorable day. I remember going over and checking the thermostat. It's like, why is it so cold in here? So I'm looking at it. All right, I have the temperature set right. It's just not turning on. All right, looked around downstairs. I have no idea what to do. Time to call a repairman. Great, this is going to be double on Thanksgiving. So out he comes. You know, we're there shivering under the blanket. He's dinking around. I'm there with him. And, you know, he's kind of poking in and pulling some stuff around. And and then he, he kind of reaches into this one spot and he pulls out a small leaf. It was just maybe a nickel size, but it was covering up a sensor, which is all that it needed to do to keep the heat from turning on. And so it was actually blocking the path that was needed to make that connection so that things would work right. So put it back, put it back on, put it back together. It fired right up, and uh, we were warmed up again. And many times when we come into this season, we feel like the externals are dictating whether we have peace or not. The temperature just keeps dropping down. My thermostat's broken. I can't do anything about it. And yet, maybe all that's needed is the little leaf gets removed. Maybe what's blocking it is is something that's internal in our heart. Maybe, maybe the things that we're asking God for aren't the things that he wants us to ask for. Maybe we're asking for our desires instead of his desires. Because he mentions in a few different places that, you know, sometimes you don't ask for the right things, so you don't get them. But, by the way, have you even been asking me for your peace? Do you know what he calls himself? He calls himself the Prince of Peace. We see that in, in chapter 9, verse 6, what we read earlier in Isaiah. But he also calls himself the Lord of Peace. Let me read that verse to you. 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Paul is praying this prayer for the Thessalonians. May the Lord of peace give you peace at all times, at all times and in every way. Have you asked the Prince of Peace, have you asked the Lord of Peace to give you peace? And if you haven't, then why not? If you have and you haven't gotten that peace, have you been asking for things selfishly and not according to, to his desires? Have you been delighting in him and his things? As it says here in, in chapter 11 of, of Isaiah, uh, of this, the character of this one who's to come, who's led by the Spirit, God himself, Jesus, the one who's spoken of here, says that he delights in God's things. In fact, we get a reminder from James chapter 4 of that very thing. The reason why there's conflicts, the reason why there's quarrel, the reason why there's no peace is because these people were asking for selfish things. Are we asking for the things that God wants us to ask for? Are we even asking him for peace this season? He wants us to have it. Maybe you don't have his peace because you don't know the Prince of Peace. This is the place where he starts and he directs us to. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, there's a verse that mentions this very thing. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we move the dependence of our life off of ourself or off of any number of things that we depend on, our church attendance, whatever we might think to make us right with God, to Jesus himself, he declares us to be righteous. And not only that, he then removes the barrier so that we have peace with him. So that this peace that we have with him can now be worked outward in the lives of those around us. Not only internally in us, but it begins to overflow into the others that we know. And we can only have this by depending on Jesus and the work that he's accomplished. See, he died on the cross to pay for our sins. He rose again, showing that he was God himself. That he was the only way to make, to make us right with God because he was God. And yet he was also the only one that could possibly do it because... He was a human being and he could identify with us. So he removed that barrier to allow us to have peace. So we started with a question today. Who am I becoming because of his coming? It's not simply good enough that we travel through the holiday season, that we might do our particular traditions, that we gather with family, that we travel... No, we need to be changed by the one who came and changed everything. We need to be marked by his peace, directed by his spirit this Christmas season. We get a taste now of what's to come. We'll be drenched with his peace later. Let's come to him this Christmas. Father, we we thank you for all that you did in sending the coming king, Jesus. We didn't deserve him. We didn't deserve what he brought. We didn't deserve this relationship that we have with you, that we can have through dependence on him. Yet you sent him for us. And we thank you that you did. We thank you that when we're reminded of the coming king this Christmas season, that we're reminded of all that you're challenging us to. We thank you that you are at work in us by means of your spirit. We ask that you'd help us to be dependent on the spirit this Christmas season. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.